We are carrying on um, with our Your Kingdom Come series, which is really a whole bunch of uh, talks really aimed at trying to build a theology that kind of backs up what we want to see and believe God wants to do in our city. And we've kind of lifted it from the Lord's Prayer. Um, so Matthew 6, verses 9 to 10, says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, uh, and it, it did change over time, but initially, certainly, there was this kind of emphasis on us going to heaven, that actually our faith was possibly a little bit weighted too much towards getting a ticket stamped and going to heaven, heaven being, of course, to most people, what they see on The Simpsons, which is fluffy white clouds and golden gates, and uh, apparently, I was, had a quick look to see if I could share any images, apparently The Simpsons think that there is Catholic heaven, which is wonderful, and Protestant heaven which is full of suffering and displeasure. So, uh, um, but that kind of, kind of weird, fluffy clouds uh, thought. Um, but actually, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he didn't really speak so much about us going to heaven so much as he spoke about heaven coming to us. Kind of completely flipped around. Uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 33. So this is still part of the sentence. Jesus is doing this kind of bit of scripture we know now as the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes on to say, um, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. But it's possibly hard for us to seek the kingdom of God if we don't really know what we are looking for. Um, And that's partly why we've come to do this series. It's based um, kind of out of Isaiah, seven things that that in the kind of the prophet Isaiah speaks about the the signs of the kingdom of God coming. Um, And it's based on a light summer reading, um, a book called Kingdom Ethics by a, a theologian called Gushy. Uh, which probably isn't. Don't take it on your summer holidays if you want to relax for uh, the summer. But the seven signs are this. Joy, salvation, peace, justice, healing, belonging, and the presence of God. So this week we are looking at the presence of God. I'm going to start by reading uh, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. And this is, probably, this is quite a well-known passage of scripture. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle uh, on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me uh, and your right hand will hold me fast. So I thought I'd start with this, just asking, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about the presence of God? Because on the one hand... The presence of God is the idea, the theological idea, that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. But actually, I think when we're talking about the presence of God, particularly in the context of our, our city and us as a church, then we're talking about uh, the manifest presence of God, which is a weird word that doesn't really get used a lot. So the tangible presence of God... Um, in Scripture, we see this as God's presence in, in a variety of ways in this kind of tangible sense. So it might be a burning bush with Moses. It could be, if you look at the Garden of Eden, it's God walks with Adam and Eve in the evening. Um, 
but then we see kind of the, God's presence being in the Holy of Holies uh, in the, a lot of the Old Testament. And then we see Jesus come. And maybe we don't think about this, but actually that he came as a, a kind of fully man, fully God, God incarnate. But that's the presence of God with us in a very, very tangible way. Um, and then lastly, the Holy Spirit, which is how a lot of us would refer to the presence of God. Um, and there is a whole lot of theology that I try to unpack, and it just gets really complicated about that. But um, I think the difficulty potentially with the presence of God for people is um, it's very experiential. It's difficult to put in a box because God is difficult to put in a box. Um, for some people, it's, it's a physical thing or an audible thing. For some people, it seems not apparent at all. Um, but actually, I think that we should seek to be in his presence. Not because we, we're told to. <laughs> um, not because, just because we think it's good for us. But actually because we want to grow in relationship with God. Actually, if you want to get to know somebody, then you are going to need to spend time in their presence. You're going to need to talk to them. Uh, and you're going to want to share experiences with them. Those seem like three fairly basic ways to get to know people. Um, and the same is true of our relationship with God. So the point at which so we, we, we talk about the gospel, we often talk about you know, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, so we had salvation. And that's good and true, but that's not all that happens. Simultaneously, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil in the temple that held back the presence of God from man was torn in two. That actually there was something very symbolic there of God's presence suddenly becoming available to, to all of mankind. That actually when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just so that we could, we would kind of I know, pass the exam, pass the bar to get into heaven. Actually it was so that we could come into a living relationship with a living God. Um, and actually that God was actively choosing to have a relationship with you, with me, with, with us. So just a few quick passages um, to read through, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on them. So Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, and the fullness of joy thing, I think I often, I'm the kind of person that I can be feeling really great inside, but somewhere there's a disconnect between my feelings and my face. So I'll keep, I can genuinely, I will walk through town and people will be like, cheer up, mate. Could be worse. Like, Great, thanks. But so there's just this apparent disconnect, I don't know. So it's not, the fullness of joy thing isn't just about expression and happiness. It's, it's a, a deeper joy. A deeper, I don't know, a good word to use is kind of soundness in your soul. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And John 10.10, Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Um, In one form or another, these are all talking about what the benefits are for us, if you like, when we come into God's presence, when we spend time with him. But if I could be honest for a moment, maybe ask an honest question, do you ever feel like there is a gap between what the Bible says is promises and how you feel about life? how you feel about your own walk with God. And sometimes, I mean, if you're like me, sometimes things are better than other times. And that's just the reality of life, perhaps. But over the... I've noted, and other people have noted, that actually there's a few kind of typical responses to noticing that gap 
feeling that gap and wanting to do something about that gap. And that would be this. So the first would be to try harder. Uh, and what I mean by that is you're trying to close the gap between what you see in Scripture here, in these promises, and you're trying to make it better. You're trying to force the issue. So you might do this, uh, say, and there's somebody in church who is just very, very good at getting up very early in the morning and praying. Um, so you think, actually, if I want to, to get closer to these promises, if I want to live in some of these things, then I need to get up early and pray as well. But if you're not a morning person and you're getting up at 4 a.m., um, what you end up doing is you end up just being tired. You don't necessarily end up any better off in your relationship with God. And the issue, I guess, is really that you're trying to, trying to do it by yourself. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Um, and I would say probably I do this, I would do this quite a lot. This would be my natural go-to, which is, oh, I can try and fix this problem. But the reality is I just need to rest and rest in him. The second thing people often do is they fake it. So I, there's been times in my past where you know you can't say things aren't okay because people will think ill of you or uh, people will think you're unfit to do what you're doing. Whatever the reason is, I don't know. But rather than trying to face the issue, you just pretend like it's all okay, like there is no gap. Um, and things might be hard in the background. And that's okay for a while, but I think eventually you end up giving up. I probably, I've spoken to a lot of people who once you, you get to know them, they, they went from a place where they were really, for want of a better phrase, on fire for, for Jesus to having that disconnect to faking and making out like they have that strong relationship still and then struggled with it for years and then eventually they get to the point where they just kind of come into church and they're singing the songs but they feel that they're doing that more out of obligation than wanting to, um, because that's just the way things are done. Um, and the last is possibly this, the constant rededication, which I was a master at during my teenage years, which is every time there was ever a call to do anything in church, just about, I was at the front going, yes, Lord, me, Lord. Uh, but the problem with that is, it's what you're trying to do, really, is just try and start again, get a clean slate all over again. And you're trying to do it by yourself. Um, surely there is an easier way for us to come into the presence of God and to know God's presence without having to do these things, without having to pretend or try hard and all these things. And I think the reality for all of us is God's presence is accessible to all of us. Uh, just as I was writing this, I just came to a fresh a fresh. A, so his re- understanding that um, God doesn't run out of energy or patience or love. or uh, He's not impulsive. Those problems are my problems. They're not his problems. Uh, we sang this morning, didn't we? You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. That's a constant. The thing that changes is not God or his uh, uh, desire to have relationship with us, um, for, to be in our presence, as it were. The thing that changes is our desire to be in his presence for whatever reason Uh, and often it's probably if there could be a good reason it's not that you don't want to be in God's presence it's that you maybe you feel too bad to be in God's presence you feel unworthy to be in God's presence somehow but I don't think God sees it that way at all Um, I'm going to use an analogy that I know a little about 
but not very much. So, uh, any surfers in the room? Excellent. Oh, one, huh? I thought I got away with it. Ah, okay. Uh, so, I have, I have never been surfing uh, for my own health. Uh, I've been bodyboarding because that requires much less skill. Um, I recently went paddleboarding with Rob and Jen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate my balance? Minus 2. That's good, yeah. yeah. So that's on relatively calm water on a fairly well-balanced board. Not a chance. But even with bodyboarding, one thing that you, you, you learn to do, you have to learn to do, is learn how to see a wave come in and basically make the most of the wave to, to achieve anything worthy of note at all, whatsoever. And within that, there's obviously there's times of rest and there's times of observing and seeing what's happening. But I think if, if, if you like, if, God is, if God's presence is the sea, is the waves, one thing you would never probably say to the sea is that the waves stop coming. And there's certainly nothing we can do about the waves. We don't control the waves. All we can do is control how we approach those waves. And I think so often like, we fall off or whatever, I don't know what the analogy is. Uh, things go horribly wrong. Uh, worse if it's me, probably, if it's a surfing analogy. Um, that we think somehow because we've fallen off, we can't get back on. We can't come back into God's presence. But actually, there's a, if God is constant, if God is, his love is always there, if his presence is always there for us, then there is always another way of coming. We just need to choose to get back onto it. Does that make sense? Does that? And it's okay if you fall. Because actually, when Jesus died on the cross and when the veil was torn in two, God wasn't doing it because he hoped that we'd get better. He did it because he knew how bad things were and he had to do something about it. So he knows that you will fall off. He knows that you're imperfect. He knows that I'm imperfect, certainly. So he's fully there and ready for us to jump back on, to get back into his presence. Brother Lawrence said this, uh, if you, uh, sorry, you need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. He is always there. His presence is always there. I think it's, it's us that has the, the problem. So if, you, if you're the kind of person that feels bad and therefore you don't pray or you don't come into God's presence or you feel guilty or you're somehow trying to discipline yourself into shape with God, then just rest. Because God is ready and waiting. God is there with open arms. It's us that... Is shying away from him. So God's presence is accessible to all of us, all of the time, wherever we are, wherever is happening. But God's presence is also good for us. We're going to spend just a short amount of time in Psalm 23, which is a really well-known psalm that ironically is, I've heard said a lot at funerals, but is all about life. So, here we go. Now, that, I just pulled out the tab for where I'm supposed to be turning to, so I now have to... Uh, Rather than turn the page, I thought I'd take a tab out. That seems good. So Psalm 23. Uh, we won't read all of it. We'll read up to verse 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, I don't know what your, when I think of shepherd 
if I'm being brutally honest, I think of some Welsh bloke on a quad bike with some dogs saying, come by. That's the picture I have of a shepherd. Um, but actually, when David wrote this, he was shepherds were probably a slightly different deal. Um, they had slightly more riding on it, perhaps. Maybe that's, maybe that's not right, I don't know. We certainly didn't have quad bikes. But actually, this is imagery that David knew well. He was really talking from his past as a shepherd. And his contemporaries would have known well. And actually, in the context of this, shepherds would have, A, been buff. <laughs> uh, but they, would have, they were responsible. They were the ones that the sheep knew would find them food, would find them water, would be their protection. Actually, if they were on duty, they would have slept in the field to protect the sheep. They took all responsibility. If something went wrong, there was no questioning whose head it fell on. And in this, David is referring to the shepherd, obviously, as God. He's also referring to us as sheep, um, which is interesting. So here's, here's my brief understanding of sheep. <laughs> they, uh, they find safety in community. So if something comes to attack them, they kind of just huddle together in one big ball of fluff, like a weird cloud formation, and hope they aren't the ones that get picked off. They, don't really, they kind of just huddle together and hope for the best. They're insecure. I've never looked at a sheep and gone, I think you know who you are. They always, they always just eye you up. You know? They're just unsure of you. They're afraid when they're isolated and on their own. They are not intelligent, unless, there's, unless they are really the masters of all, and we're just fooled by their acting skills. Um, and they don't make rational decisions for themselves. They kind of just follow the pack. Uh, and kindly, David used sheep to depict us in this passage of scripture. So the presence of God is good for us. And here's just just three things to pull from the scripture to kind of back that up and give us some focus. So the first is that God's presence satisfies. So if we look at verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If we reword that, we could say this, because the Lord is with me, I'm fully satisfied. Because the Lord is with me, so that's the cause, I'm fully satisfied. That's the effect. So when we start to substitute God, God's presence for other things, we'll end up unsatisfied. So if the need for approval is my shepherd, then I'm going to be unsatisfied. If that's success and achievement, I'm going to be unsatisfied. And I would point to just people who make who you would call successful in life and just end up completely dissatisfied with what they've got. Maybe it's security or maybe it's money or maybe it's relationships, I don't know. But if you substitute God and God's presence in your life for something else, you're going to end up unsatisfied because only God's presence can fully satisfy your soul. God's presence also restores so if we read verses 2 and 3, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside uh, still waters, he restores my soul. And what's interesting in this is David seems to understand that actually our, our presence around God sometimes needs to be different than it is. So um, God's presence can be different towards us and us towards him. So if you are watching, I don't know, 
the football on TV, that your presence should definitely be different, husbands, when we're having a conversation with our wives. Tom, mostly. I speak to myself as much as anybody else. That actually in different situations, our presence should be different. We should be handling ourselves differently. And this, again, this kind of feeds back to the, you know, if I try to be more spiritual, then my soul will be refreshed. Now, actually, probably we need to learn just to rest. And actually, this, this idea of resting and letting God restore our souls is probably more timely than ever because it feels more and more like the pace that each of us is having to run at is more and more inhuman. I was just reading, there's a, um, a lady called Letty Kalman I'd never heard of who used to write devotional books for people. Christian lady. And she once told the story of um, an Englishman who, uh, I don't know when this would have been, mid-19th century perhaps, who in all his imperial wonderfulness went to Africa and basically said, I want to go on safari and see every jungle there is. But because this is like 1850s England, he can't just go on safari. He's got to take the tent and the food and the wine and the books and everything. So he takes all this stuff. And when he gets to the first location, he... He recruits some, some of the kind of natives to just come and carry the stuff and lug the stuff. So day one, they move quickly and swiftly, and they get to the, the first stop, the first jungle, and the Englishman's pleased. Uh, he's sat. He's just amazed at how quickly things have gone. He's thinking, great, this is so good. If, if we can carry on at this pace, then I will see all the jungles in Africa. The next day, he gets up early, and he tries to rally um, the guys to pack up the stuff and get going. And they're just sat. So he yells at them and he shouts at them. He offers them more money. And they just sit. And then one of, the, one of them chirps up and just says to him, says this, it's, it's not that they are too tired. It's not that they're worn out. They believe that yesterday we travelled too far, too fast, and we must wait for our souls to catch up. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're going too far, too far, too fast, and you just need to, your soul to catch up. Sometimes we just need to bring our stuff to God, not worry about being more spiritual, but just bring it to God and go, God, I need you. I just need to, I just need, sometimes it is, I just need to rest. I just need to stop. And the Bible says that when that happens, this passage says that he will restore our souls, which is something that we cannot do, but he can. And then lastly, God's presence protects So if we read verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the things I noticed reading through this was the context goes from God being he to God being you. That actually, maybe that's more about us, that when things are bad, we suddenly realise we need that personal connection with God. Maybe we're just better at reading, recognising our need for that in those times. But your rod and your staff, again, this is kind of, pictorially, I just don't get it because I have no idea what shepherds do at all. I presume it's something to do with sheep, I don't know. But the rod would have been a blunt weapon, like a club almost, uh, that a shepherd would have been able to use with great force and great precision to stop the attack of bears or lions. Um, and a staff would have been like a, a stick with a hook in it that actually, I think they still use these now, where a sheep gets stuck in the thicket and you can, essentially they can just wrench the sheep out of danger. 
the, out of the funny, horrible, horrific mess it's got itself into. So what that means is that actually we can rest in the knowledge that in God's presence, when God is with us, we are protected. You know, he's out protecting us with a rod, and he's pulling us out of the mess we get ourselves into with the stuff. And I guess I think if we'll often try and fix the messes we get ourselves into. I don't know if you noticed that. So in, for just being really, really honest, so for myself and Ash, the last, I don't know how many months, we've been on a real knife edge with money. Just every month we go from this is good to it feels like everything we own is breaking and we're fixing things all the time, we have no money. So and month after month, my, my natural response is, I need to work harder, do more, come up with some brilliant idea that will solve this problem. And every once in a while, I remember, I, you know, I need to pray. I need to come back into God's presence. And every time, he tells me, all will be okay. But if I just did what I thought was right, I would probably be running myself into an early grave, working extra, extra, extra hard. And achieving very little, probably. So God's presence satisfies, restores, and protects And I think this is important for us. We, we need to know God's presence for ourselves because actually the presence of God is what our city needs probably as much as anything else. So God's presence is for us, but God's presence can restore our city, can transform our city. But it's done, really, it's done through us. So John seven thirty eight. so this is, Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So actually, if this is Jesus being present with us, being present with the people he was speaking to, actually, if we are in God's presence, then we can expect rivers of living water to flow out of us and into others, into those around us, and to affect the lives of those around us. The question, the question is, the tricky thing is, how do we... How does that work out? And I grew up in a church that prayed and prayed and prayed for God's presence just to come to the city, which is good. I have no problem with that. But I wonder if it's the wrong prayer. I wonder if a better prayer is, God, would you let me stay in your presence? And would you let me hear you when I'm in situation X, Y, or Z? So that I can actually outwork the things you want to do rather than the things I think we should do. So whether, uh, just a few examples, maybe it's a business meeting, you're in and it's, I don't know, it's bad, I don't know, things are not good. Um, what if rather than just, just using our brains, which is a good thing to do, I'm not saying don't use your brain, what if we took a minute in our seat in that meeting to go, okay God, I need you, what, what do I do here? And you just come into God's presence and let him speak to you. Because actually, whenever I've been in stressful meetings, you make rash decisions or bad decisions. Maybe you make good decisions, I don't know. But what if you could not just make good decisions, you could make a God decision. That actually you could take a step back and you get heaven's perspective on whatever situation you were discussing. I just have a feeling that it would make a difference. That it would change the situation. Or maybe you're a teacher and there's a difficult child that nobody gets on with. But actually you could take a step back and go, okay, God... Let me come into your presence. What, what, are you, what do you think about this child? And actually, the words you spoke to that child was the one that 
change the path of that child's life. Or what if it's, we hear somebody on and you're talking to somebody and say they've got a headache. Does anybody struggle? You, does anybody else have this? You're in a conversation with somebody and it's like, oh, I've got a headache, I've got this ache and pain. And you go, I know I need to pray. And your next immediate thought is, I can't do it. Is it just me that has that? Just me, okay. What if I, in that moment, took a step back into the presence of God? Because that, we sang again this morning, didn't we? That idea, you make me brave. Actually, in God's presence, we have fresh courage, fresh uh, confidence in him that we might pray with people. See, I think that this kind of Christianity is normal. I think we've maybe got Christianity down over the years to just preaching at people. And people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news. But if we are just shouting at people, they're not going to listen. But actually, what if each of us took time somehow to, to find God's presence in the midst of our everyday situations and and brought, brought God's love into those situations, brought God's life into those situations, and spoke what he had to say rather than just what we had to say. But I think that if we want that, the first thing we have to do is go, okay, God, I need more of your presence. I want to learn how, what it is to come into your presence more. And I guess that's the challenge for all of us, probably. Um, as I read this, I was like, oh, man, I need to do this more. I need to take a, even if it's just stepping back and taking a deep breath and going, okay, God, come be here. And I did, you know, come Holy Spirit, that prayer that we pray all the time. What if I did that more? What difference would that make? Um, I just thought there's, probably a few people in a few different places that I thought it would be good to pray for just as we finish so some of you you, you heard the passage and even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death you're like yep I feel that right now I feel things are not so good I'm struggling whatever you know the different things it would just be good to give you time to come before God come into his presence and let him encourage you and, and speak to you and I would say on that as well, even though it might not feel like it, that God's promise is not that you are in the valley of the shadow of death, it's that you're going through it. There's the other side. And, and I guess, if you like, that today means you're one day closer to getting to the other side than you were yesterday. You know, you're not stagnant. You're, God's bringing you through. Some of us, it's, you, you've heard, you hear a talk like this and you go, I don't, I've never felt the presence of God. That's your honest response. You're like, I hear these things and I want these things and I just don't seem to, it doesn't work for me. I just encourage you to, to engage and just to pray. Um, and then just for those of us who, we hear things like the presence of God and we think, actually, I want God, God's presence to come into all, all the things we do. We want God's kingdom to come in the places that we work, the, the social groups we had, have. And you just want to go, uh, if you like, go, okay, God, this week, please give me opportunity and please give me courage to do that. And then if that's you, just to where you are, pray and ask God to do that. So I guess those are the three things that I felt. Um, so shall we stand? Shall we pray?
So, Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you are here and you are you are always faithful to come and meet with us. So, Holy Spirit, would you just come and speak to, to the, those of us who need to hear from you?